Thank you, worship team. Hope I'm on here. Hello, everybody. Where you been? You're still here. Oh, sorry, I got to move all this stuff. Here we go. Thank you for giving me one extra row. All right. Yes. No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. I, uh, I think that time in uh, worship with uh, Holy, Holy, Holy was exceptionally excellent. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to pick that song for today, uh, or I suggested it, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I picked it, I suggested it, was um, the fact that it makes a statement, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. I'm vibrating here a little bit. How's that? Better? And... Um, Boy, is that ever true, and I don't know if you've uh, noticed, the world seems to be out of control right now. Yeah. And uh, so I was particularly grateful that somebody sent in a, a question, and it was basically this. So let me uh, say that we're doing our Q&A series, What About? Now, I have a problem. I know I have many problems. <laughs> However, I don't want your answers, but... Um, I don't know if any of you sent any in and it bounced back or you never got a response from me. If you sent me a Q&A and I didn't say thank you, it probably never made it to me. I had a little quirk while I was away with my email. Okay, yes, it's AOL. Thank you for rubbing it in. And uh, the only reason I keep it is because I've had it forever and I uh, want to keep the address. But um, So if you did, please resend it. And, uh, and if nobody did... Oi, but uh, somebody did send me uh, a really good question. So here's our question for today. And I thought the timing was right because I felt like I'm coming back, being away, things were happening in the world. Sometimes while we were away, we weren't even aware of it until we came back. And um, what about how should the church respond to disasters, national and international? What, what, where should we be at with all of this? And uh, it's been absolutely uh, kind of maddening what's been going on. We barely got through the shock of Dallas, and the next thing you know, southern France was under attack, and then, and then uh, Turkey had an uprising, and it's like, ah, when, when will it stop? And um, I have to admit that um, I am not a big end times uh, I know some of us who have been saved since the 70s, uh, you know, that was really a major theme. But I'm going to tell you, uh, I am more and more persuaded that it isn't too far off. Uh, because just because of the way um, things are unraveling. I was watching one of the newscasters. I thought it was uh, the profound two-year-late understatement for this newscaster to ask questions like, is this the new normal? I'm like, what? You're actually asking that? Uh, is it the new normal? The, the issue is, at what rate will it continue in terms of progression? So I don't like to say things that are uh, disheartening or um, nerve-wracking or troublesome to our spirit. Uh, I have two little grandchildren. I don't know about you, but I wonder what kind of world they're going to inherit. 
What should the church's response be? So I want to give you, in your bulletin, you have a place for notes. If you're, in, if you're a note taker, I'll encourage you to fill it in. I want to just give you four responses, two that are inward and two that are outward. Two inward responses for the saints and two outward responses, if we could. And the first one is uh, the relationship that we have with God, what his intention for us, what should happen in our hearts as followers of Jesus. I definitely don't want that. I'm going backwards. Well, there's nothing new about that, I guess. Today's question, how should the church respond? Two inward responses and two outward. The first one is to trust in what some, someone called Jonathan Edwards. Did you ever hear of Jonathan Edwards? If you haven't heard of him, it's because you haven't listened to me preach, because I mention him periodically. Jonathan Edwards was one of the great luminaries of the uh, Great Awakening that changed the course of history in America. And one of the statements he would use often, or an expression, was trust in sweet sovereignty. Trusting in sweet sovereignty. I'm going to set up a little bit of a story here. Uh, those of you who like to find it in the Pew Bible, uh, I'm going to give you the pages, but in a minute we're going to look at Exodus chapter 9, which is on page 31 in the Pew Bible, if you care to read the whole story. Let me set it up. Sometimes the circumstances of life just go south. I don't mean going to Florida, for those of you who love Florida. I'm talking about things going badly. And there's a story in the Old Testament where God calls Moses to take his children, his chosen people, out of Egypt, out of bondage. Most of you may be acquainted with that. And um, I don't think the Christian Baal version was probably accurate, but the um, Charlton Heston one was. Uh, even if it is a little hokey. And that's the uh, Ten Commandments movie. It's the story of the rescue of the children of Israel. But what we often do is we read the big stuff and we go, oh, isn't that cool? And we miss what's going on between the lines. God calls Moses. He says, go to Pharaoh and here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell Pharaoh this and get my children out of, out of Egypt. But Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. Anybody remember that? In fact, when he first goes to Pharaoh and says, you need to let my people go, Pharaoh's reaction is, you're all idle. You've got too much time on your hands. You're watching too much MTV. You're on your iPhone too much. I'm going to have to make life a little harder for you. Get, you, get your attitude back where it needs to be. So it actually gets worse so badly that the elders and the children of Israel tell Moses to get lost at one point. They basically say, you're just messing us up here. You're making life worse, worse for us. What a great job for a pastor, isn't it? <laughs> Go make life worse for his people. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll try it sometimes. <laughs> Here's what the passage says. God speaks to Moses. He's encouraging him, and he said, oh, I'm sorry. No, that's right. Ding, ding. Here it is. For this time, they've resisted. Uh, uh, the Egyptians have resisted the call of God. I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, 
you would then have been cut off from the earth. Though the eye of sinful man, his glory may not see. People say, oh, this seems so unjust. You really want justice? I don't. I do want justice in the world. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want justice directly applied to me because I'd be fried. Crispy critter. He's making a point here. You're rebellion against me. But if real justice came down here, it wouldn't be a matter of just losing your slave labor force. You'd be gone. But he goes on. But indeed, for this cause, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power, in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. God is orchestrating something in his sweet sovereignty, even though right now it doesn't taste very sweet. You follow what I'm saying? Right now it may not taste very sweet. I've allowed this to occur. I've not only allowed you to remain and not given you justice or judged you, but I've shown you mercy. I'm still giving you, Egyptians, an opportunity to get reconciled with the God who rules the universe. And on top of that, I'm going to deliver my children, even though it's going to get a little bit ornery before the escape happens. See, God works through circumstances. He hates man's sin. He's righteous. He can't, he's too pure to look upon evil, the scripture tells us. That doesn't mean he doesn't see it. It means he can't countenance it. He can't approve of it. He never approves of the evil that men and women do. He hates it, but he will use circumstances to work out his sweet, sovereign purpose, which ultimately will benefit the children of God. Some of you don't look very convinced. Oh, wait till I finish. Then you can ask. It is Q&A, so I can't tell you no. Boy, what an opportunity you have, right? He can't tell me no. Okay. Now's the time to ask for everything you want. Okay. Working out his judgments. We're all acquainted with, uh, I shouldn't say we all are. Newer Christians may not have this yet. But many of us have learned, maybe even memorized Romans 8.28. Anybody want to remind me of what it says? Huh? Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? God is engineering all things in his sweet sovereignty to bring about an ultimately good result. I have a couple of verses I'll throw up on the screen just for those of you who like extra Bible study. There are a few of us who probably will look it up. Romans 11.22, his judgments are past finding out. I can't, what's the matter? That's what I said, 1133. <laughs> I've been away a long time. Am I back yet? Oh, 1133. Paul says, who can understand the mind of the Lord? His judgments are past finding out. He's working his purposes out over all the earth. The scripture says as the nations rage, he sits in the heavens and laughs. Did you know that? In other words, he doesn't fall off his throne and panic. He's got it. And he's moving things toward an appointed end. In Isaiah, the 14th chapter, this is the purpose that is planned on the whole earth. God has stretched out his hand. Who's going to slap him on the wrist? Who's going to stop him from accomplishing his purposes? Sweet sovereignty. But the classic text for revealing how God can bring good out of evil, and I'm going to use a modern illustration in a minute, but 
is Acts chapter 4, verses 27 through 28. Don't have to look there right now, but let me tell you what it is. It's the portion where the children of Israel, after the resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost, they're preaching the gospel, people are coming to faith by the droves, and the unbelieving community is persecuting the church. Here, people are being transformed to be better people and better citizens, and the powers that be are fighting it. They're persecuting the good guys, in as much as we can be good guys. They're persecuting. And the scripture says here, as they all as a church lift up their voices to God and say, God, take note of their threats. Don't ignore this. Take note of their threats. But they don't say, smash them all with comets from outer space. They say, you stretch out your hand and do miracles so people will still be converted. Glorify yourself and make your kingdom even bigger. Strengthen us to speak your word and make your kingdom even better. You can look it up and read it for yourself at another time. Unrighteousness. And by the way, this particular verse says this. We're asking you to to watch out for us and help us to be strengthened, but we want to remind you, God, that in your holy city, Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, the Romans, the Jewish leaders, all conspired to put to death your holy child, Jesus. Everything happened exactly as you had in mind. That's what it says. He uses the evil actions of humans sometimes to accomplish amazingly good things. This was the most wicked criminal act in history. Do you realize the most unrighteous, illegal murder ever? The crucifixion of Jesus, the Son of God. But what accomplished from that? Salvation. We're here because of that tragic, evil event, which has become a glorious deliverance for us. Trusting in sweet sovereignty is the first step in the believer's heart. You've got to wrestle that down. I've said it before. We need to know him more deeply. He is trustworthy. He's good. And he's sovereign. But the second thing that I ought to do, that's internal. There's two internal responses and two external responses. The second internal response is soul-searching. I want to look within, soul-searching. I'm going to give you another context. first one was the Exodus. This one, years later, the children of Israel have rebelled against God. Any, any of you who have ever read through the Old Testament know that the children of Israel over and over and again keep resisting God's appeals through his prophets. Would you please come back and serve me and stop following false gods and doing everything I told you not to do? Anybody remember that? It's in the Old Testament. That whole big part of the book, all of this stuff, is all about that, okay? Really. So finally, God says, enough. I've given you mercy, mercy upon mercy. I'm now going to put you in exile. The promised land, which is the mark, if you will, of my favor on you, I'm removing you from that. I'm putting you in exile. So the children of Israel go into exile for 70 years. God raises up one righteous man. His name is Daniel. Daniel starts praying when he realizes the time may be close for God to do something remarkable and bring his people back into the promised land, which for them is a symbol of God's favor. 
And, and Daniel begins to pray. And here's how he prays in Daniel chapter 9. God, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, to our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. We're the ones who have, sorry about that, we're the ones who have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. He's done everything he could to appeal to us, to bring us back, and we've ignored him. We've gotten exactly what we deserve. Let me ask you something. Does anybody know anything about Daniel? He's one of the most righteous men we know of in the Bible. In fact, at one point, God says, I don't care if Moses, Daniel, and someone else stood in front of me and made an appeal, I wouldn't listen to him. Meaning there's no one more righteous that I know of. That's Daniel. Noah. Thank you, brother. Help me. Was it Moses, Noah, and Daniel? Was it? Good. There's actually a verse like that. It says, even if that were true, there's no one more righteous to make intercession for you than Daniel. Why is Daniel saying, open shame belongs to us? We and our fathers have sinned. Because Daniel is in the process of self-examination, soul-searching. I'm somehow in it with God's people. I know I'm broken. I know that I've got weaknesses. I understand that we as your people have blown it, and Daniel is not too haughty to identify himself with the evil of his people, recognizing what they've done. When we work through our solemn assembly, I tried to communicate some of that. I know it's not a concept that we're used to at all, but recognizing that I and my fathers have sinned, that when people have been hurt by the evil that God's people have done, that to own that and take the lower road and say, I'm really sorry about that is the right thing. There may be people in the room today who are searching out, what is this Jesus thing all about? What's Christianity about? Because what I've experienced hasn't been too pleasant. I just want to say, on behalf of the church, we're sorry that sometimes our encounters with God's people are distasteful. Because Jesus didn't have that in mind. Let me take it a little bit further. Daniel's humility means he enters into the, the, uh, the condition that his people are in and he intercedes with God, not because he's guilty personally at all, but because he wants mercy to come down on his people. By the way, there are two other verses that say the same type of thing. Nehemiah was another character. If you read Nehemiah chapter 1, he does the same thing. Here's the man who's going to turn history favorably for God's people in Jerusalem, and he's saying the same exact kind of language. We've blown it. Show us mercy in spite of the fact that we've blown it. And then number two, Exodus 32, verse 32. Moses, there's this event where God's people provoke the Lord to anger. Can you imagine that? And he says, step aside, I'm going to take him out. I'll start, remember that? There's one point where he says, I'll even start over with you, Moses. Moses comes back to God and says, listen, if you're not going to stay with these people and help us make it to the promised land, just blot my name out of your book. He's actually putting the people of God ahead of his own life, if you will. Soul-searching, entering in 
to the suffering that other people go through. Let me uh, share something that came via email. You know, we get the Rainer newsletter around here. And when Dallas hit, um, one of his uh, staff, Joshua Straub, wrote this uh, article about three ways to help our kids process racial injustice. And uh, I'm just going to read his conclusion, the three points that he made that I thought were so good. One, God help us. Number one, may we model for our children, may we model for one another, what it means to suffer with those who suffer at the hands of injustice. The word compassion is to suffer with, you know, come with passion, to suffer with. We say, well, they were wrong, or this person was, really, were you there? You know how much was right and wrong? We don't always know. But even if they were wrong, people who have done stuff to themselves, the church has the opportunity to reach out to people who have been ruining their own lives by their bad choices. So we should say, that's good, they deserve it. Well, we can say that, but that's not really the mind of Jesus. God help us. May we model for our children what it means to suffer with those who suffer at the hands of injustice. Number one. Second thing he said, this was a prayer request. Give our African-American brothers and sisters, sons and daughters who feel afraid, peace and justice. Peace and justice. And three, protect our law enforcement officers who generally put their lives on the line day in and day out. In fact, I would ask for wisdom, for insight, for... Uh, they, they need a lot of um, grace, you know, to be in some of the circumstances they're in. Circumstances that will probably push me over. Daniel's humility is an example of soul-searching and identifying with where people are at. I don't know if you uh, remember, it was just a year ago this last June that... Klebold, uh, whatever his name was, went into the church in South Carolina in Charleston and went nuts. And what I found fascinating was the response of that church was forgiveness, clear gospel. You remember that? It was clear gospel. And people go, whoa, that's amazing. We're always amazed when the, the Amish forgive a shooter. That's normal Christianity. Do you understand? And the sad part is people started condemning the 16th, uh, that, that Baptist church, that, no, it was an AME Zion church. They started condemning them for their mercy. God help us. May I be condemned for my mercy. May that be so. May we all be condemned for our mercy. I think those people have it wrong. Oh. So, Years ago, my wife and I went south to, to uh, Alabama where my son was learning to fly Blackhawk helicopters. And on the way down, we got a chance to tour, tour Birmingham, Alabama. And while I was there, I went to find this location, which is 16th Street Baptist Church. If you don't know anything about 16th Street Baptist Church, that is the location where the Civil Rights Movement was active. These are worshiping, Jesus-loving saints. And it happened to be on a morning in 1963 that a KKK member decided he was going to really serve Jesus by planting yeah, a bomb in that building and killed four little girls. And... Um, 
Can you trust sweet sovereignty? That was a nightmare. Does God approve of that? No. Does God countenance evil? Never. Was that guy in any way, shape, or form who I'm sure considered himself a Christian and a good red-blooded American doing Satan's bidding? But the result of that is within one year, LBJ in 1964 made sure that the Civil Rights Act was rammed through, which was a right thing. Late, unfortunate, God working through his sovereignty, using the evil of man, even though he doesn't approve of it ever. Don't get that wrong in your head. I know some of us are immediately stuck on that. How do we work through that? I don't totally know. I'm going to have a lot of questions when I get to heaven, too. How about you? But I do know this. He's sovereign and he's good. But let me explain why I brought this up. Because what happened is my wife went with me. Uh, We were down there together, and I said, I just want to go check something out. And I went to see this, and I looked at all the history that was around it across the street diagonally. This way, no, this way, is a a civil rights park, a public park, Martin Luther Luther Jr. All of those uh, statues and historical markers are there. I pulled opposite diagonally at this intersection right behind a fire hydrant. Thankfully, I didn't get towed. I looked at that. I was pondering our history. And all of a sudden, I just broke down and started sobbing. We and our fathers have sinned. It has nothing to do with who's right, who's right. We have sinned. Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, what a mess we are. I have walked through uh, with people who have been on the receiving end of sexual abuse, and sometimes when I counsel people through that, I feel ashamed to be a male. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, I don't want to stay there because that's not what God's called us to. Those were good gifts. Male and female is a good gift. We're really off the track on that today, but they're good gifts. I want to tell you, when I sat diagonally across from that church, I was ashamed to be a white male. I want to be part of his healing work, don't you? To do what is right. So the first two things are inward. I want to consider... Sweet sovereignty and learn, do I really trust God through these things or am I a hissy fitter? Number one. Number two, I need to do some soul searching and let God speak to me and say, okay, where are you unjust, Hako? Where do you have attitudes about certain categories of people that are not necessarily God's view? Number three, something outward. The first thing, here's a profound thing to say in church. I think we should do something spiritual. (laughs) That was not a trick comment, okay? And what I mean by that is, well, let me just show you the text. First Timothy, if I could. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, presidents, President Barack Obama, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Oi. This, huh? 
Yeah, no, don't even get me started. I have a confession to make. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to what? He desires you, if you're listening to me today, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, which is life transformational. It really is. So, yes, there's a dimension here where Paul is saying, you guys ought to be praying about the circumstances of your life. Remember, the early church grew like gangbusters. They won the Roman Empire in spite of being burned at the stake and eaten by lions. Sweet sovereignty wasn't fun back then in the arena. But God did move his kingdom forward, right? He is accomplishing something that I can't always see with my eyes. I need to learn how to trust him. But it's right for me to pray that, one, we might have a quiet and peace. Wouldn't you like a quiet and tranquil life? Wouldn't that be nice? Get rid of the iPhone. Anyway, oh, by the way, Pokemon, what is that game now? People are killing themselves. He's crazy. Get rid of that demon, okay? It's from the pit. In the name of Jesus. Don't get me riled up here. Okay. Sorry. Now I'm preaching. <laughs> Where do I start my karate class? Self-defense. Anyway. It's right to pray for a peaceable social order, a place where the gospel can be shared intelligently without starting a fight. You know, as much chaos enters into the world, chaos is the result of the reversal of God's order. Do you understand? Death is chaos at work. Man sinned and death entered into the world. Oh, well, we believe you believe what you want. It's what the scripture tells us, okay? And the more I go into chaos, some of us are living in chaos. God's goal for you is to reverse that, to bring order and his life-breathing order into our lives. So it's right to pray for that, peace in the social order. If we have a community, if we can impact it in some way, we should do so. And that there be an opportunity to preach the good news, to do something spiritual. The rest of that chapter, I already mentioned, Acts chapter 4, that's when they said, you stretch your hand out while we proclaim. Give your servants boldness to preach the gospel. While you stretch your hand out and do wonders and miracles, get everybody's attention. And if some of us die in the process, oh well. That's how they prayed. And that second verse, Matthew chapter 5, by the way, something spiritual. Jesus says, anybody want to guess what that verse is? That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. Pray for them. Oh, I thought it said, load my gun and shoot them. <laughs> no, that's not what Jesus said. If you think Jesus is a, an NRA Republican, you probably got some of Jesus wrong. Okay? No, 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 no. I don't care if you're in a, Yeah, go ahead, brother. I don't, care if you're, I don't care if you're in the NRA, but if you see Jesus through that lens, you need to pray and start reading the scripture with an open mind. It would be a lot easier to align myself if I take his teaching straight up. Easier to align myself up with the Anabaptists who are nonviolent or, or pacifist. And I'm not a pacifist, okay? So just to be clear, everybody, oh, wow, we were worried. Quit pigeoning pigeonholing Jesus where he really isn't. That's all I'm asking you to do. I don't care what your views are. We're all entitled to our own views. You understand that? 
but we need to learn how to respect one another even if we disagree. Pray for your very enemies, Jesus said. My confession today is I'm not real good at that verse that says pray for kings and those who are in authority. Anybody want to say amen with me? I'm a little embarrassed that I have not championed praying for the chaos of our society more for kings and those in authority and all of that that's involved. And that's a clear command in the scripture to do. And so, yes, I want uh, an environment where I can live tranquil life and where I can preach the good news, but I also want to do what Jesus said and pray and that there be an environment that out of God's sweet sovereignty, people will come to faith. The more chaos, I'm not loving chaos. I'm not loving this uh, crazy world we're living in where people go off and commit mass murder and suicide and all that. I'm not loving that at all, are you? But I have a feeling the further we get pushed to the wall, the more people are going to start asking, are there answers to this? And by the way, the answer class, yes, it really is in practical ways. I got one more point, and I didn't let you ask your question, Mrs. Ogden. Good. She said I kind of answered it. So where I didn't kind of answer it, next week. No, anyway, so let's see. Something spiritual. Here's the last point. Don't you think we ought to maybe do something sensible? Hands on. Here's a typical verse, James chapter 2. Somebody asking something? Okay. I'm going, why do I always go backwards? What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith and he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes or in need of daily sustenance and one of you says to him, go and be filled, go in peace, have a good day, but you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? goes on, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself, right? Now, There's a problem when we try to do something sensible. You cannot do everything, nor should you try to do everything. I think left to ourselves, can I, can I politic, no, um, metal, harmony, we might have a tendency to do everything. Let's try a little of this, a little of that, a little, 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 little. I'd rather do one or two things really well. Put my hands on something that will make a difference. Right now, I can't help out in Dallas. If I had enough uh, police officers in my church, we may want to have a contingent to go down and stand with them in unity. We might do that. That would be a possibility. Up in uh, the Binghamton area, when that town got flooded for the second time and it had wiped out tons of houses, our assembly rallied. Not only in one Sunday took an offering, of course, we had the resources of over $20,000 to help with relief, and we volunteered to go muck people's houses out. I want to tell you, we weren't the stars. It was really cool, though. It was a Presbyterian church on the south side of town that led the charge, and everybody, all the social order there, was focused on that church sending out the army. It was amazing. It was a great witness, and it was a wonderful opportunity to say, I know you've just lost your house in this mess. Can I pray with you? And they're like... That's doing something hands-on practical. Some people have been talking about some ideas in our immediate vicinity, and I'm open to a number of them. It'd be fun to see what happened. But there's no question, 
It's, there's opportunity to put our hands on things in practical ways. And so as we have the opportunity in our town, uh, we want to grab it. We want to do something spiritual, which is to pray first, and secondly, to do something sensible, practical, and useful. Just some backup text on that. Matthew 25. There was something Jesus said about, inasmuch as you did this unto one of the least of these, my brethren, what? You did it to me. I love that text because once in a while, I have somebody come back to me and say, do you remember when you blah, 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 and I don't remember it at all. I did something good. You get what I'm saying? I didn't do something bad. I'm talking about a good thing. I did a good thing. I served that person. I helped them. Something worked in their life. Man, that was life transfer. Do you remember when you do that? And I literally get that verse because in that verse they say, When, Lord? When did I ever do that? Don't you want that? Isn't that fun when that happens? Yes, class, it's fun. Sorry. And lastly, there's a story that Jesus told in Luke 10 about this guy who was really the outcast who did what was useful when he found a man who had been mugged laying on the side of the road. And the pastor and the priest both walked by and didn't have time because they were going to seminary classes. But the Universalist Unitarian or the Jehovah Witness or whoever he was, he stopped and bound up his wounds and put him in an inn and told the keeper, um, I'll take care of any bills, just keep an eye on him. He did the right thing. Which of these was a neighbor? Which of these was a neighbor to his friend? So, four things. And I do believe that there is an order to it. Sweet sovereignty. The people who know their God shall do exploits. If you think it's your strength or your power, you're going to make mistakes. Sweet sovereignty. Then soul searching. Where am I guilty? How can I make a difference? Three, do something spiritual. Pray for those who are in crisis. And number four, do something sensible, hands-on. I want to take a few minutes as we close today because I'm actually done. Can you imagine? I want two or three of us to pray for our world situation. Yes, our nation, whatever uh, comes to mind as we, uh, we pray, but I was, I was just kind of amazed how in this week the, the video was fast-forwarded from Dallas to Nice to Turkey, and by tomorrow, who knows what will be next, as things just kind of unravel, that it's right for us to pray for mercy. And sometimes we look at certain places, like France got hit a year ago, and now they're hit again, and it's like, well, that's over there. No, no, friends, it's over here too. We're all in this mess on the planet together. So it's right for us to pray. Can I get three or four volunteers to stand where you are, lead us in prayer out loud? I'll close, and then we'll be on our way. Um, I'll be available after to speak with anyone if you want to know what it means to put your trust in the God who teaches us about his sweet sovereignty. I'd love to chat with you. Or if you have another question, I'll be here. But can I have uh, three or four volunteers just where you are right now? It's time to exercise our our, uh, priesthood. Mr. Hopper. Mr. Nauta, two more.
You're not going home until we get them. Kathy, if you would be so kind, and one, oh, thank you, Christine. So in, in that order, stand and pray loud so everybody can hear you, and then I'll close. Thanks. God, we're sorry. We're, uh, we're sinners. We are just trying to figure this thing out. Every day, there's, there's something else. Mm-hmm. I just want to simply ask that you would, you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart.
things. Thank you for the church exercising her priesthood. And uh, more importantly, thank you that you hear us through our Savior Jesus. And Lord, he is the Prince of Peace. And you said, Jesus, that you fear not, I have overcome the world. Boy, if we ever need to believe that, it's now. 
So, Father, we're asking for your overcoming power to be manifest. It's almost as though we're moving toward that time when some of the lids on the abyss are opened and the enemy runs rampant, the demons run rampant, take over these crazy people that do things that are just out of our understanding. And we're asking for you to stretch your hand out, subdue our, the opposition of your kingdom, subdue the evil, give wisdom to those who lead, give wisdom to our leaders in our nation, in our community. Uh, give grace, Lord, uh, some uh, immense extra doses of patience to those who have to police the community. Uh, grant grace and peace for those who are in fear. And God, help us. Lead us in your paths of righteousness for your namesake, because there are some places we should put our hand to the plow. Help us to know when and where. And, Lord, open the doors for the good news as was prayed several times here. Lord, there are people who need to know the peace that comes from only you, Jesus. We pray for help. We ask for help for us as an assembly, and we ask, God, for your angelic protection around us. It has even at times, some of this has touched us as a community, and we're asking for mercy. Put your angels around your children as we go into the world this week. Help us to have that sweet sovereignty resting on us and to know that we can speak truth for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys have a great afternoon. I'll be up here. We're dismissed.